When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We have moms who will call us and say, look, this, this boy ain't cleaned up his room. He's not going to recess tomorrow. We're like, cool. That's fine. And matter of fact, Tell him to clean his room, and when he gets to school, he's cleaning the classrooms too. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers Podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the distinct pleasure of having Richter Craig with me today. Again, Richard Berryman reached out through his network, and he said, Jerome, you got to talk to this guy. He's got a charter school on par with what LeBron James is doing in Ohio. That was the intro, Richter. I said, what? <laughs> I said, LeBron, like, King James, like, the basketball superstar who went, like, straight out of high school into the league. He said, this guy as a charter school on par, and it's in D.C., which is even more challenging. I was like, man, let's see if we can get something set up. And after a number of iterations, here we sit today. So, Richter, if you don't mind, give the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into this endeavor. Oh, wow. Um, Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, You are actually my first podcast like legit first podcast so super excited about being on and just talking about the work that i do um i was born and raised in chattanooga tennessee um graduated high school and went to north carolina A&T state university for an undergrad at pride um and at the end of my senior year as i'm preparing to you know move on and, and graduate and and do life um, I, I knew I wanted to go to law school and I had applied to a whole bunch of law schools, but nobody was, you know, they, nobody was connecting back with me. And I, I was like, wait, I need a plan B. And so I immediately started researching graduate schools, had no idea, had never wanted to be in education. Like if you had asked me, if you had told me that I was going to be a teacher when I was in high school, I would have definitely laughed you out. I would have laughed at you and would have told you to get out. I was 
a troublemaker in school. I mean, I have stories after stories after stories <laughs> around just, you know, my, my, um, just my behavior in school. I was a great student, but I was a horrible when it, when it came to just behaving. And so graduated, uh, didn't go to law school. Instead, I ended up uh, attending Morgan State University for graduate school. Um, and that was because I hadn't heard back from any of the law schools, decided that I wanted to apply to Morgan, found out the day that I wanted to apply that the uh, application had closed a week earlier. And my uh, work study advisor was like, why don't you just call them? And I was like, well, the, it's closed. And they, they said, well, just call and see what they say. Hopped on the phone, ended up speaking to for an hour to who I thought was just, you know, a representative of the, of the program. And she actually was the person that admitted students. And so over the phone, she admitted me into the program and gave me a full scholarship over the phone <laughs> from an hour conversation. And so at that point, like I knew that that is where I, I, I needed to be. And I started getting law school responses that next week. And so I made the decision to go to grad school at Morgan State. And as a part of the program, I taught full time uh, in Baltimore City Public Schools. And that changed my life. Like it changed, it changed everything for me because when I, the first day that I stepped into the building, I was 20 years old at the time and I was teaching 11th and 12th graders and they were like 19. And so, but they never, they never challenged, like the, I, I just always believed that if I treated kids with respect and loved them like they were my own, then everything will work out. And that's just what I've lived by. And it has never failed me. Um, I still keep in contact with my kids from Baltimore City. And that, that, that really shaped, um, shaped me in education. I was a whore. I, I, anybody who I taught my first year, if I ever see them, I'll apologize to them. I was a horrible first year teacher. Horrible. Um, not that I couldn't manage a classroom, not that I didn't know content. I just like teaching is a craft. And you have to hone that craft and you have to get better at that craft. And my first year, man, just, yeah, I, I apologize to all of the children that I taught uh, in my year one. Uh, but I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the kids. Um, I fell in love with just the idea of changing lives every day and being able to see that, like see it to the other side. And so, I mean, I just dove in and, and I immediately became really good at teaching. Um, I spent three years teaching in Baltimore City and then transitioned into Washington, D.C., where I stayed with the same network for the last 13, no, 15 years. Um, and in that particular network, I was a teacher, teacher leader, became a curriculum coach, a coach of teachers, uh, then went into a resident program where I was the uh, resident principal of one of the schools. I then took over uh, one of the schools, which was Friendship Woodridge. Uh, and in 12 months, I took the school from being middle performing to high performing in Washington, DC. And we also became an international baccalaureate school uh, during that time as well. And so for me as at that time, the youngest leader in the network and certainly one of the one of the youngest leaders in DC. It was pretty much unheard of to move a school to high performing that quickly 
while also attaining international baccalaureate status. So, I, I, but I always knew that I knew what I knew. <laughs> and I had a very, very, very strong coach that I like, I just listened to everything he would tell me and just got better faster. And so after that, uh, I'd always wanted to, um, to do gender specific work. And my, the school district that I was with, we then in turn started to develop um, an all boys school. And as I was developing the all boys school, um, I got approached by Sean Hartnett, who is, is, is the founder of Statesman, along with me and four other guys, or three other guys. And he said, hey, well, you think about joining me to open up this all boys school? And I'm like, what? Absolutely. And so from there, it was, it was no question. Like we iterated and talked and I mean, just the conversation was, was rich enough for me to know that that's what I needed to do. And from that came Statesman. Um, we are an all boys public charter school specifically designed, and I think it's important for people to know and understand this because I don't get a chance to say this much unless people ask me. We are specifically designed for boys of color. And that's important to say. Um, anybody can come, but you're going to get a whole bunch of blackness. <laughs> like we're going to teach you a whole bunch about who we are and, and, and why our contributions are important. And so our boys just get steeped into just rich African-American history and African history. Um, a, a, a big part of our program is that we use the middle passes as the foundation of everything that the boys learn. And so from fourth grade to eighth grade, we're a fourth grade to eighth grade campus, they learn about the middle passage. And in eighth grade, they're taking, they're going on the middle passage. And so we want them to know as much about it so that it's super relevant when they're standing in Africa <laughs> and, they're, and, and, and they've read and talked about all of the things that happened to our people. Wait, like, wait, I can't wait. Wait, 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 wait. You're taking middle schoolers? They'll be in eighth grade. Yeah, they'll be in eighth grade at that point. Um, to Africa. To Africa, and they're going to take the whole middle passage. They're going to take the whole middle passage. Like, like get on a boat and sail back. Like, well, probably not sail back, but we'll definitely, you know, take them into, like, we're, we're definitely going to take the passage. Like, they'll, they'll probably fly uh, most of the ways. But for us, what's important, uh, and the reason why we're doing, well, there, there are many reasons why we're doing it. Uh, but some of the most important reasons is just relevance for our boys. Like, it, it, if they know who they are and they know their history, they'll have much more pride in why we're pushing them so hard. Uh, and they'll understand much more when they go to high school why they need to be sitting at the front of the class, why they need to be in their books. Because I've had the pleasure of, of being able to teach and lead from pre-K all the way to 12th grade. And what I do know about high school students is that when they enter the ninth grade, they think they've got it. <laughs> and most of them don't at that point. And unfortunately for our black boys who are struggling trying to find their identity in the street and struggling to find an identity in school, most of them abandon school because it's not the cool thing to do. And they don't realize that they have potential or they, they don't find that potential sometimes till as late as 11th grade. And by then we know it's too late. And so if we instill these strong values about academics 
and school in them now, when they get to the grades where they have more autonomy, they have more room, they have, you know, there's more struggles with friendships, more social struggles, they'll be able to navigate that with confidence. Because the one thing that we, that we do every day is to teach them how to be better academically, better socially, better as brothers, better as people, better as humans, so that when they get out into this crazy world, they can navigate and make decisions and know that the decisions they are making are the best decisions for them and will produce the outcomes that they want to produce. Um, and so I said, I've said a lot, <laughs> uh, but I think yeah, I got so many questions, like <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> um, but no, for us it was relevance. And then one of the things that we did when we were, uh, when we were in our planning year, we call it year zero. Um, and that's the year where all five of, five of us, we literally devoted all of our time to building out the program. And most schools don't get that time. They don't get like full year, my like paid, <laughs> like I, it wasn't volunteer. And we traveled the country, we visited, almost every single boys school we could get our, our, our faces into. Uh, but during that time, actually before year zero, we did what we call empathy interviews with over 500 boys of color and over 100 men of color. And one of the things that, that the men told us, which we knew to be true, uh, because I consider myself to be an African-American man who made it out, who made it to the other side. And one of the things that I knew was true was confirmed when we had when we did these interviews with the men of color who came from same neighborhoods like the like the boys that we serve. And one of the things that they said was the most critical thing for them uh, in high school that really shaped their outcome, like shaped their view on life, their view on uh, academics, and their view on school was traveling. Uh, we call it critical exposure, which this trip to Africa is a part of that. Like we know that if we that if our boys leave this country, travel period, really, it increases their likelihood to go on uh, and and do things that are not local. Uh, it opens their eyes up to the world. It lets them know, you know, that there are other things out here. A lot of our kids don't even see the outside of their quadrant of the city, let alone, you know going to another country. And so over the years, we do prepare our boys for this trip that we're gonna take, this three, two to four week trip that we're gonna take and we pull them away from their parents. Um, and so we use the five years to prepare them for that. We also use the five years to prepare their parents <laughs> as well, because they're like, wait, my boy's gonna be gone for three weeks, I can't do it. And I'm like, mom, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll almost be in high school by then, you'll be pushing him out the door. Um, and so, that for us was that that for us really well it really resonated with me because i started traveling out of the country when i was like nine uh, and it wasn't because my parents could afford it uh, they put me in a program it was actually a boys choir that every summer we traveled the world and we just sang around the world but if i wasn't exposed to that if my parents didn't you know push me into that i would have never visited all of the countries that I visited, the love that I have for traveling, the love that my daughter is growing for traveling. Like, I understand the importance of that now and I didn't get it then. And so I want, we, we wanna be able to provide that level of opportunity to our boys. Like we know that going into high school saying that I've visited Africa, I've visited, you know, all of these 
different countries, like that's a level of confidence that they can walk into a room with. Uh, the same type of confidence that they get when, when anybody asks them about Frederick Douglass, because that's our character model. And we are deeply steeping our boys in his story. And so when they get in front of people and they're talking about Frederick Douglass, we had a Frederick Douglass orator come in and, you know, he asked me, he said, what do you all know about Frederick Douglass? And the dude was like, I don't even want to present anymore. <laughs> like you all, like you, you know everything. And, and we want them to have that level of confidence because our black boys don't get that confidence um, a lot. They, they, don't, they don't, they're dissed a lot. They're disengaged, you know, they're, they're you know, disenfranchised, they're dissed in school, you know, that, I mean, it's just so many eyes stacked against our boys and they don't deserve it. They deserve a school that will put them first. They deserve a space that will protect them, that will keep them safe, where, where they understand that they are loved and affirmed, um, while also beating their butts and pushing them to, to, to get, to work harder, to get smarter every day. Like we, our families know and our boys know, like you, this isn't given to you, this is earned. And you got to work hard for it. And we're going to push you and we're going to stand next to you and we're going to love you and we're going we're gonna to cheer you on every step of the way, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And we want them to understand that they have what it takes to meet the expectation because the messages intended and unintentional that they've been getting throughout their life is that they're not good enough and that they don't have what it takes. And we, we're just here to prove everybody wrong. Like we're, we're here to prove that you can get a building full of black boys that will sit down, that will learn, that won't, you know, beat each other up, that will praise each other. You just got to create the space to do it and have the right people in the right seats on the bus. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So one of the first videos I saw was a kid that came back from the oratory contest. Oh my God. They were cheering for him. Like he just won an Olympic gold medal. I was like, yes. what is going on here? Yes. <laughs> That doesn't happen. What what is going on here? It was so literally. This I'll, I'll walk you through what happened because a lot of people truly believe that everything that I put on our social media is staged. None of it is staged. None of it. I literally walk into my classrooms, take pictures, or I have my camera out when something's going on, and I just take. And what happened that day? So, Edric and two other of our scholars have been working for like three weeks. And they were a part of a Frederick Douglass oratorical contest. And it was open to any student in the city from fourth grade to 12th grade. It was open to, it was open to, the, to the students. And they had like practice and practice and practice. And they worked with uh, one of our staff members and you know, they got feedback and they just kept, kept working. And so they went, they did the speech and it took them a week to decide on the winners. Uh, but we were really confident because Edric, like he came with it. He came with it. I actually posted his video, the actual video as well. Um, but he, 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 he really came with it. And so that day we held him upstairs at the beginning of lunch. And, you know, every morning we come together and we affirm the boys. They, you know, they, they say a bunch of affirmations. They do a bunch of things with each other just to get them excited about the school day. And one of the things that they do is say our school chant. Uh, which is what one of the boys had called off when Edric walked in the room, because what I literally said was we had found out about 10 minutes before lunch that he had actually won. And so, you know, we were congratulating him and he was like, I won. And I'm like, absolutely. And so we had him stay upstairs and I literally went into the cafeteria and I said, look, guys, 
We just found out that Edric won because we made a big deal of it before they went. And one thing that we do as statesmen is we celebrate the hell out of academics. Like our boys get celebrated enough for sports. And I'm not saying that celebrating them for athletics is not good. But what we believe is the same energy that we give to celebrating our boys for doing things well on the field, we should be doing for the things that they do in the classroom. And so we've just, we've created an environment where academics are important. Like we celebrate the hell out of them when they do things academically and socially. And so I literally walked in, I said, hey guys, we just found out that Edric won. When he walks through that door, I need, I need y'all to celebrate him. And I didn't, you know, tell him anything. I just said, celebrate him. And that's, that's what they did. And for me, it just affirmed that we are teaching our boys that they are true brothers to one another. And we say, we say, we tell them all the time, we celebrate every win. Even if you don't win, you celebrate the people that do because you want them to do it for you. And so that's what they did. I mean, they are in the chairs on the tables and I'm like, go for it. Like, because he needs to understand this is a big deal. And that moment could change his life forever. Forever. That one moment can change his life forever. And my goal is for every single one of our boys to experience that type of moment in our school because they need to know, like, we, we got your back. We love you. We want you to win out here. And, and if you win, we win. So we got to celebrate you like because it's our win too. So you talked about a zero year. How did that get funded? So uh, Sean Hardnett is just amazing in the work of education. And he just is really good <laughs> at raising money. And I will attribute all of that to Sean. Like he got the dollars to be able to pay five people full-time salaries uh, for a year. But that's what was needed in order to do this work right and, and do this work well. Um, like we, we, we have to start putting in the resources that other quadrants of the city get, uh, that faces that look like ours, that faces that don't look like ours get. We gotta start putting those same resources up for our, our boys and girls of color because they deserve it. Like they deserve it. I don't argue with anybody about the stuff that we do for our boys because our boys deserve it. They deserve a space. They deserve a school space that they love, that they're excited to come into. They deserve classrooms that they love and are excited to come into. They deserve humans that will treat them like humans and that they're excited to see. Uh, they also deserve to be pushed and they deserve like to be held to high expectations. Like our, we found out very quickly that our boys were not really being made to meet high expectations. They just weren't being made to do it. And for us, it's no excuses. Like we, our boys literally, day one, if you're a brand new student with us, you start out learning on the floor. You start out with nothing. You earn your chair, you earn your desks, you earn your classrooms, you earn your teachers, you earn everything that you get from us. But what I can tell you is that teaches our boys to appreciate <laughs> the space that they have. It teaches them to appreciate the things that they're given. We don't, our boys, our boys clean the cafeteria, our boys clean the classrooms, our boys clean the hallways, our, like they do it all. Because in order for us to say that this is your space, you've got to treat it like it's your space. And so, I mean, we just, we do a lot of things that other schools don't do. Um, and our families support us in it. We, we, we explain to them why 
we do the things that we do because every decision that we've made, every picture on the wall, every post on the wall, every item in the school has all been mapped back to what makes a successful space and place for boys of color. And so we're very intentional about those things and, and, we, and we use data, we use research, we do our own research. We try, we fail, we try, we succeed, we fail, we succeed, we fail, we fail, we fail, we succeed. We, and we just keep doing that until we get it right. And because that is what our boys deserve. They deserve everything that has been taken away from them, that has been stripped from them. So this is crazy. I don't, I don't even know where to go. Um, <laughs> there's just so many ways I could go. But I guess the most logical place for me to go is once you know that you guys had something, right? Because you exited public school. Yeah. You sat for a year and then kids showed up at some point. But how did you know, like, here we go? Uh, man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I knew it day one. Like, I knew it before the school opened. Because what we did was we created a, so we did not do what most schools do when they go into a community and open. Most schools, they'll identify a space, build the school, and then tell the community, hey, this is a school for your community. And for us, we built our school with the community. Like we interview 500 boys we interviewed 100 that come from the same spaces and we asked them we literally asked these boys what would be in a school that you'd never want to leave that's what we asked them like what would be inside a school that you'd never want to leave like teachers the space everything and they gave us the information that we wanted to know we created the school based off what they told us what affirmed for me that this program was, was magic, was just see, hearing the stories of our boys and just the, the behaviors that they exhibited and the things that they did at their old schools and seeing those very behaviors show up for us and then doing what we do and seeing the, 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 the scholars that we have now, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, it, I literally, I mean, on any given week, I'm just shedding tears. Like, it's just, it, it's that, like our boys have, they have stories, man. Like I could never imagine going through and experience some of the things that our boys experience. And that trauma shows up in schools. And like the, 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 the biggest foundational, um, one of the things that we stand on the most is relationships. Like we are all about building relationships with our boys, with each other, with our families, because our boys, in order for our boys to do everything that we've asked them to do and that we're asking them to do, they have to know that we love them and they have to be able to trust us. And if you are, and I say this all the time, like if you're, if you're an adult and you don't, and you go into school buildings and you don't think that you have to earn the trust of children, you're in the wrong job. You're in the wrong, <laughs> you're in the wrong job. I, there's a lot of adults who walk into buildings and feel like children should, they should listen to me because I am the authority. <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't work. It, 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 it does not work. And so 
we have to engage our boys in ways that makes learning fun for them. I want school to be fun for them. School has to be fun. Why can't school be fun? Why can't school be fun for me? Like, I want to go into a job that I love and that I have fun working at. And so we created a space where we, we have fun. Like, we laugh. We cry. We argue. We do it. We are family. We do it all. But what you see is the results that, that you see on our post. If you come to our building, like, people will come in and be like, man, this, this feels like school. And I'm like, what did you expect? Because you think we're building of all, all black boys that it's just going to be chaos. And that's not, we've got we've to really debunk that myth and, and change that narrative for our boys. Because what that shows up as is low expectations. It shows up as what? You, we, are, we are the lowest performing gender and race out of everybody. It shows up as a lot of our boys being put into special education, mislabeled, misidentified, put on medication because everybody's saying they have ADD or ADHD. And it's, it's none of that because I have boys in my building who are supposed to be on ADHD medication and you don't have to take it because we're engaging you in ways that boys learn. We're getting you up and moving. You're running around like it's high energy. Like we almost consider putting our boys in sweatsuits <laughs> for the, that was going to be their uniform at one point because our program requires for them to get up and move. I'm a black man. You can only get me for about 20 minutes before my brain starts wandering off. And as an adult, I can control that. As a child, it's, it's a more of a struggle for me to control. So we've got to use that to our advantage so that they can be able to, to, to access the learning that we want them to walk away with. And so we, we, we just, we do things different. We, we do things different and you'll, you'll see that from the, if you visit or if you, you know, follow us on social media. <laughs> so now that you have this experience, uh, can you go back into traditional education? Yeah. There's no way. I'd get, I'd get fired day one. Um, day one. Day one. I Simply because Unfortunately, in most traditional public settings, the bureaucracy trumps educating children. And for me, if the children don't come first, then there's not a conversation that we need to have. And what I found in the public schools, in, in most public school systems that I've had, that, that I've visited uh, or worked in, the conversation we were having the wrong conversations like we're talking about the wrong stuff uh you know we're having conversations about you know teacher pay and things like that although albeit that is important our, our babies won't be able to even make it to to being able to get paid if, if they're not receiving a, a, a high quality education and so you are battling for pay and you're trash in the classroom. And so we like we've got to start focusing on the the right stuff so that our our kids can get what they need and what they deserve, man. Like it's just I just, I just found myself hearing or listening to or you know being a part of conversations about things that just didn't matter. Like they just didn't matter. And so for me, like the, the moving into a charter space gave me the autonomy to do what I knew was right for kids without having to argue about how to get it done. And you know, in public schools, 
if, if a kid needs something, you have to go through this process to get a kid something that they need right now. Like, and I can't get it for you until another month or two. Like you need this thing to help you right now. Why are we having this conversation? I'm gonna go out and get it. And so I'm in a, like, uh, and, and fortunately, and, and there's always, there's been a charter, a, a, a charter, traditional public versus public charter conversation. I don't, uh, my, my whole thing is, good schools stay open, bad schools close, period. Charter, private, whatever you are, if, you good, if you're good, you deserve to be open. If you're bad, you deserve to be shut down. It's just that simple. And so for me, having the autonomy to be able to make the right decisions, do the right things for the boys is, I mean, it's just a much easier space to navigate. Uh, the work can be done well in traditional public. I see it all the time. And there are, there are people out there that do it. I think for me, <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm not a bit of, I'm a rebel <laughs> when it comes to like doing what's right for kids. Like you're not gonna get me to do anything on the line of that. And you're not gonna waste my time when I know, it, it, when I know things need to be done now. And so they, I probably wouldn't be around for long because I'd probably be break, breaking all types of traditional public school laws <laughs> uh, and getting things done for my kids. But you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. So you actually see the children as customers. I actually see the children as, I actually see them as really, not even really, well, yeah, customers. I see them as customers. And I see them as customers because they deserve to be treated fairly, period. Like I, when we walk into school, when we walk into our school every day, my staff knows that like, if we're not having conversations about them, if we're not talking, if, if the conversations we're having are not directly affecting the children, then that's the conversation that we don't need to have. And so, absolutely, yes, yes. I, I do see them as customers because they deserve to be treated with respect. So with the group that you're serving, it seems like one of the biggest risks would be what happens when they leave. So yeah. you, you've got, you know, eight hours, maybe nine hours with them a given mm -hmm. day, the balance of that, the other 15 hours, they're probably in a space that isn't desirable. So how do you guys combat that? And what happens when the phones start ringing after hours? Cause there's issues. You answer it. You answer the phone. Like they, we, we know that. And I'm going to answer your question in probably about 50 different ways. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that we do uh, when we hire anybody as a part of our crew is we, we take them through everything that we are as statesmen and everything that we are not as statesmen, which gives people a very clear picture of at what. So there's a quote by Frederick Douglass um, that's in his book. And he says, at any cost of trouble, he learned how to read. And for us, it's at any cost of trouble. Like we do what we have to do to make sure that our boys, you know, they, they close those gaps and they're on or above grade level. And so for us, it's, it's we will always have to combat um, their, their communities. We will always have to combat that. And I think every school, every school has to, every school has to combat that. Okay. I think for us, we, like we, form such strong relationships with our boys and our families 
that literally, if there are issues going, like we literally have, have moms who will call us and say, look, this, this boy ain't cleaned up his room. He's not going to recess tomorrow. We're like, cool, that's fine. And matter of fact, tell him to clean his room and when he gets to school, he's cleaning the classrooms too. And so. Hey guys, back in 2016, me and the team decided to formalize Dreamcatchers as an organization that can help people achieve their wildest dreams. If this is you, please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a Dreamcatcher. Talk to you soon. And so for us, it is a very mutual, <laughs> uh, like we truly believe that our, that our community is our village. And so I'll give you an example. We had, um, we had um, three, no, about four of our boys were walking to the bus from school. No, about six of our boys were walking to the bus from school uh, one day. And there was, um, there's another school that's close to ours. And they had a couple of their sixth graders who, also, who unfortunately didn't make the best choices and ended up like surrounding our boys and like took some of their money and you know, made them get on the bus with them. And it was just all kinds of drama. And so, you know, for us, we're like, we're, it will absolutely be resolved because our boys know, like, we don't leave any stone unturned. Uh, but it, we, it also helps us teach them how to navigate issues. Like our boys coming from, unfortunately, coming from some of the communities that they come from, there are only one of two ways that issues get resolved. And unfortunately, in schools, those things can't happen. And so we have to teach them how to navigate. Like we literally, like code switching is something that we teach our boys. Like that's, that is a survival skill that they need. As, what is as code switching? Say, what'd you say? What is code switching? So code switching is the ability for me to be able to walk into a room uh, with people that don't look like me and use, King's the king's language well and to be able to woo a crowd or you know speak to a CEO or whatever and then turn around and go and talk to my homie <laughs> like I talked to my homeboy and so our boys need to understand the power of being able to take charge of of language and use language and use their their social skills in whatever way they need and, and however way they need to navigate and whatever space that they are in. And for some of us, that wasn't taught. Like that wasn't, like we didn't have conversations about why I can't go into an interview and why my email address at the top of my uh, resume shouldn't say smoking that loud 41 at yahoo.com. <laughs> like those things should not happen, but they do. Like those things happen. And I use them as teachable moments when you know, when men or women or whoever they are come and, and they interview because people deserve to know, you know, like, like these types of things you should, like you should pay attention to those. And they should, like our boys need to know when you go into a space with CEOs or, you know, leaders, you have to speak like a leader. And if you don't possess that power or the knowledge to be able to navigate that, you'll lose a lot of times in life. And you will, you will start to think that you can't do it when in, reality you you don't possess the skills yet to make it happen so i'll probably this question will probably be controversial but i'm curious so why not always be whatever it is why why switch back and forth why 
why not pick the way you're going to be and be that? I don't think it is a, it is, it is a, so I would never tell anyone that they can't be who they want to be. Uh, and in certain spaces, we feel more comfortable being more of ourselves than we are in other spaces. When I'm with my homeboy, I am, I'm Rick. <laughs> Everybody doesn't get Rick. Most professional spaces will get Richter all of the time uh, because they don't, need to, they don't need to see Rick. But I don't have to be professional all of the time around my friends. I can be relaxed. I can, you know, use the language that I want to use and, you know, use slang if I want to use slang and, you know, use standard English if I want to use standard English. And in professional settings, you don't have that, you don't have that option. And so for our boys, what we teach them is like, it, it is a navigation tool. It is a way that we have, that, that we have to navigate. And unfortunately for us, like we have to, like that, that is a, that is a, uh, it, it's a survival skill. It, it is a skill of survival. And that I, I've never known a, a white man to have to code switch. Never known it. Like they, they, they don't have, they, they don't, they can be who they are in every space. A lot of times, and, and just to be very honest, like Rick is a threat to a lot of people in a professional space. Cool. And if that shows up, I then have to, you know, do the work that's required to either erase that bias or whatever that may be. And so for me, like as a black man, like that's a source of protection. Like being able to have that space with my, with my boys where I can be my truest self, that's a space of protection for me because I can't be that around some people because they may be scared of it. That's interesting. So do you feel like you have to be inauthentic? Not at all. Not at all. I, so what's uh, the so peel the onion for me. What's the difference between code switching and putting on a mask or pretending or being inauthentic? So I would say for for me, um, code switching is just a part. It, it is a part of of me. It is a it is a part of my being. Um, it is a facet of who I am. What I will say is we have to have honest conversations with our boys and we have to have very honest conversations with them about just the, the just existing is a threat. <laughs> just, just being a black, a black man is a threat. And if we know going into spaces professional or whatever they may be, if we know going into those spaces, how to navigate those spaces in that respect, then, that is, it is our outcome. Like it, it makes our outcome better. And although we don't like, I, I wish I could cure the social ills of society where I could be, uh, where Rick could be Rick uh, in every setting. But unfortunately our world is not, our world is not there yet. And until our world can get to a space where we as black men can be ourselves all the time, then maybe we won't have to have this conversation. But until then, We've got to, we, like, our boys have to show up in a boardroom. Like, we've got to teach them how to show up in a boardroom. And they can also be, like, our boys, we don't have to teach them how to be themselves right now. They are really good at that. Really, really good at it. Really good at that. But what I can tell you is that they will not be successful showing up like that in spaces where decisions are made 
about them and for them. And we've got to teach them that. Like that is unfortunately, that, that's, that, is some, that is a reality of the world that we live in. And that's the reality that we have to face. Going, going to, growing up, I quickly realized, especially in spaces with people that don't look like me, because I went to, I went to a school that was diverse. My school was not uh, predominantly African-American. My, my, the school that I went to from kindergarten to 12th grade, they made it a, a point for it to be as diverse as possible. So I had the pleasure of growing up and I mean, I consider a lot of them to be my family. We were with each other for 13 years of my life. Like I learned so much about other cultures that way. I learned so, and so it, it allowed me to recognize and realize like this, this is the way that, that, that you engage in a room. This is the way that you enter a space and, and show up to benefit you. And if we don't teach our boys that, they're going to walk into spaces and quickly be discredited. Quickly. Yet again, another diss for our black boys. They're going to quickly be dis discredited and think that they can't do. In reality, it's not that they can't do. We got to get our foot in the door somehow. And this is yet another way to do that. What discredits them? So if I walk up into a space, it, let's, let's say I'm going into a board, a board meeting, or let's say I'm going in, into a, a meeting, period. And I walk in a space and I walk up to Katie, who's this meek 25-year-old white girl. And I'm like, what's up, Slim? What's going on today? How you doing? She's, she might not take that the way that my homeboys or someone who's from my community would take that. And so, you gonna make you a giggle? <laughs> um, she might giggle, but that giggle might be masking something else. <laughs> and so, like, our boys have to understand that. I know as a 6'2", 225-pound black man that simply walking into a space, I sometimes have, I sometimes have, I have to minimize my presence. And for me, like, and, 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 and it, like if, if I don't recognize that, I'm losing out on deals, I'm losing out on conversations that I could potentially have. Like those things are just a reality. And like, we gotta talk about those things because we have to, and we may have, we may be, I, I, know, our, I know our black women have to do the same thing when they walk into rooms and spaces as well. Like, it's a reality, man. Like we've gotta teach our boys that, like co-switching is a tool for existence. Like it gets us further. Like, I mean, it, it gets us further. Like there are spaces that I will say that you might not have to walk in and co-switch, but you better know that space pretty well. You better know that that's the space. And, and most of those spaces, you're owning the room. And so you have the autonomy to, to be and say and, and speak how you want to be and, 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 and use the words that you want to use. Most, mo most people don't have, they don't have that ability yet. They have to go in and they have to win rooms. And in order to win rooms, you got to know how to navigate a room and speak the way that you need to speak in that specific space and do the things that you need to do in those specific spaces. Yeah, that's challenging. Very I, much so. I, I don't know. So as you can see, I've got hair, I've got tattoos, I've got yeah. hair on my face. And, yeah, when I first started this journey back in 2010, um, 
there's a lot of criticism, there's a lot of conversation, and there's a lot of dialogue along those same lines. Yeah. But as I've went through my experience, the fact of the matter is like, maybe I'm just naive, but I, I don't see that. Mm. I don't, I don't, that, that's not my experience. And so it's interesting. And I've actually had this debate with a few people with regards to like my kids, like we're not having conversations about racism unless they have an experience where we need mm-hmm. to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and maybe my parents didn't do it the right way, but we didn't have conversations about that. You know, yeah. just you go know, up, do your best. And we grew up the same way. Yeah. My family, like there was no intentional, like sit down. This is what racism is. But what I will say is our kids, like the kids these days are experiencing much more uh, racist interactions than, like I, I read an article the other day that says that kid, that black children on a daily basis experience in between five to 10 racist encounters a day. A what? day. How? A day. Whether it's through a microaggression, whether it's, it might not be overt racism, but it is some, some sort of interaction that has racist undertones, or it could be overtly racist. And like our kids, I, they step out into a world that doesn't see them as human. They step out into, into a world where they ride buses and they, they see interactions and engagements that, that are pretty terrible. And we're asking them, and what I, what I can say is, especially in communities like the community that we serve, where potentially, because I don't want to put all of my boys and all of their families in the, in the, in the same grain, potentially you're going home and you're not seeing positive ways to interact with people. And so that alone could lead to many other things, especially when we get older and when we have, if we have to go into rooms where we have to have conversations, what I can tell you is I don't consider your, ta- I have tattoo too, tattoos as well. I don't consider your tattoos to be anything uh, aligned with a conversation about code switching. Code switching is understanding the power of the English language and how to use it in a way that benefits you. What I will say is if you walk into a room where you have the ability to get millions of dollars in funding for your podcast, you're going to look around that room and see what the, what the current of that room is. And you, you may possibly go in with that current uh, before you decide or before you determine, hey, I can let my guard down or I can talk like I'm talking with my homeboys. Now, if you talk, I, I don't talk to my homeboys like, I, like I'm speaking in a boardroom. It just, that's not the level of comfortability that I have with my boys. But if you get into a room and you see that you can make those changes, by all means, do that. I have not been in a space yet where Rick could be Rick and it will land the way that I need it to land. Um, but so, it, it's just being, it's being able to navigate. Code switching is being able to know that and navigate that. So riddle me this, why, which one do you think is more beneficial for you? Being Rick or being Rick Turk? I think both. I think honestly, I think both because if if I don't have 
Like if if I, I take some of Rick and it is woven in to who I am professionally. Most people know Rick is coming when there's a problem. More the more Rick shows up. And I, I, that is the way that it is, but that benefits me at work. But also in my day-to-day -day life, I've, I've had times where I've had to go from Rick to Richter in a space where people would take me more serious. And it, it may not be with my boys, I may just be out in public and they see this black man with, because you know, I'm not always suited and booted. When I'm out on my own, I got on, you know, my nice pair of, nice pair of shoes, I'm, you know, I'm dressed up or dressed down. Uh, and, and people associate the way that I dress with a particular type of behavior, with a particular type of person. And so people will attempt to come at me like that and then I'm gonna have to switch it up on them. And so they're like, oh, okay. So I can't talk to you this way because you, you understand how to navigate and, and have conversations in a way that allows for you to, to, to walk away knowing exactly what it is that I need to tell you. And so I honestly don't think that there is a, uh, that there's detriment in not being able to be both. For me, it just allows me to know that, that I have a skill set that allows me to do that. Because I, I know people who struggle, who don't have that skill set, and they L after L after L after L. And they don't understand why they're taking all of these L's. And they're getting in rooms where, where and it's especially important when people are giving you things because of you. It's especially important for that. And but so, isn't it important that they know who they're giving it to, though? Like, like me, me, me being Richter in a room. Rick, Rick's values are no more different than Richter's. They're not two different people. Now you're talking. <laughs> and so, like, the, it is who I am. And Rick is who I am when I'm around people that I am comfortable with. And it's no, the presentation, but not the actual content it's a lack of presentation actually <laughs> like exactly. I, I, I think right. when i'm with my boys i'm not worried about presenting and so i'm just being i'm being the raw me everybody doesn't deserve so you're not managing pre, pre, perception absolutely absolutely right. now now we're drilling down but I, I think you said something that was core for me is it's the same values. Yeah, same same person, same values. Same morals. Like, none of that changes. It's just Absolutely. a matter of whether or not I'm managing your perception yep. and potentially how raw I'm giving the message Absolutely. to you. But in the end, you know, I, I'm still communicating the same message because it's coming from the same guiding Exactly. My message, my message will never change. How I tell you the message might change. Got it. And you almost got me there when you were like, hey, you know, command of the English language matters, right? And, you know, which words you use in order to communicate the point <laughs> matter. Absolutely. Um, and so what, what I've always found, like when I get the opportunity to go back and, and talk to the college students is you talked about the people who were taking L's and L's and L's because, and they didn't understand why. You know what happens when somebody gets exacerbated or gets nervous? Whoever they truly are, whoever they most comfortable, it, up. Absolutely. It, it comes out. 
shows up. And so that's part of the reason why I was asking the question, because I told them, and there's been multiple courses at this point, hey, if you know that you're going into a space, like be that person all the time, right? Because then when you get excited, when you get exacerbated, just more of what you are already presenting comes out. But when you're flip-flopping, when you're switching, I think it puts you in a position where, uh-oh, like you stumble. <laughs> you ever see the girls like start stumbling when the hills break or something and then it just yeah, all yeah. breaks down. <laughs> it's like you got this great persona that you presented and she's like, yeah. ah! Yep, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I think, I think people have to understand that code switching is not being two different people. Ooh, talk about it now. Not being two different people. Again, because the values are the same. It is the management of perception. I, I, I appreciate that terminology. It is, it is really managing people's perception. It is, it is allowing them access to enough of you where they are comfortable enough to do what you need them to do. And so for me, I need for my boys to understand, like, everybody doesn't deserve all of you. Everybody doesn't. Wow, in a world of oversharing, in a world of social media where you put everything on display. Absolutely. Everybody doesn't deserve all of you. Everybody doesn't deserve all of it. And you determine how much of yourself people get. You determine how much you you also have control over over you you don't have the, you don't have control over their perception of you, but you have a control over how much you give to them to determine what that perception is. And like if our boys don't understand the power that they possess, then they'll never they they won't even scratch the tip of the surface of being able to use it. And so like we want. The, the conversation around code switching opens up the conversation to so many other things. Uh, and so many struggles that our boys are experiencing right now as nine and 10 year olds that we experience as grown men. And so like, if we don't put all of this out there and let our boys talk about it and let them get all of this out and let them, you know, perseverate over the, diff the, the different decisions that they have to make in these, in these situations, then we're not really, we're not truly teaching them. Like school is not just about content. Like we've got to teach these boys how to survive out here. Like this is like, there's so, and this is, it's one of the reasons why I'm super passionate about education because they are powerless without knowledge, powerless. And if they don't, if we don't fight them, for the space to learn, like we're not doing the right work. Like our boys know, I will fight you for this math. I'll fight you for this English. I'll fight you for the science. I'll fight you for it all. Because if you don't have it, you're not getting anywhere in life. I will physically beat you, sir. I will physically beat you down. If, if, we, if we gotta go there, we going there. But my, my boys understand that. So they don't, they don't even tote that line. They don't tote it because they know how serious we are about education and their education and, and them working harder to get smarter. People, they, they've not pushed them as much as we've pushed them. Like we, we consider the first four months of school for our, any, any new student, it's literally just like a cycle of emotions <laughs> because we're telling them to do things. They don't want to do them. And so 
for a nine or 10 year old, especially a black boy, and especially if you have size or if you've recognized that certain things will get you out of doing work, you're going to milk that cow till there's no more milk left. And so for us, we call, like, we, we call it work avoidance behaviors. We identify it, we name it, and we say, hey, what problems one through 10. They'll have the fit, they'll get on the ground, start rolling around, and I'll sit down right next to them on the ground, and I'll say, after you have that fit, problems one through 10. It'll be waiting for you when you're done. If that fit lasts four hours, if it lasts four minutes, this work <laughs> will be waiting for you when you are done. And so our boys know you can't get out of work. Like you can't, like you can't avoid it. You can't get out of it because I know that producing lazy students now will produce lazy men in the future. And Ooh. the last thing that we need out here is another lazy black man. We don't need it. We don't need it. And so we've got to step up and push. Like the, the kids are fighting for things they don't even recognize are killing them. And if we don't, surface that and say like i'm willing to die for this bro like this math that you're learning yeah i'm willing to fight you for that i'm willing to die for that and because that's what frederick Douglass did at any cost of trouble he learned how to read at any cost of trouble he he like he could have been killed <laughs> at any cost of trouble he learned how to do it why would i not push you why would i not like, I know what being smart gets you. Why would I not push you towards that? I know what working hard, I know what resiliency, I know what these things get you. Why would I not push you in, in that direction? And so our boys, frankly, they just get tired <laughs> of having fits. They get, because we tell them, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer of it. If I tell you something and it makes you upset and you have a fit or you do whatever, then what that tells me is I'm going to do more of that thing until I no longer see it. So if you have a fit because you have to do math, guess what you get more of? Math. It's just that simple. Until you get used to it and you'll no longer have a fit. Problem solved. But you got to have people on, uh, you have to have people in your, in your building that are not going to walk away from a kid that calls them a bitch. That's not going to get upset and threaten to quit, you know, when a kid cusses you out but, or when a kid just cusses you out. Like, we've got to get to the other side of that. I'm not saying you excuse it by no means, but you also have to recognize that these are children and they're gonna, they're gonna do whatever they think that needs to be done in that moment to get out of whatever it is that, that you're trying to get them to do. So if that means the bitch word might have to fly, they're gonna try that thing. <laughs> and if they see it, it works, then they're gonna keep doing that thing. If they don't see that it works, they're gonna stop doing it. So I'm gonna give you more of this math so you can get used to it. And then you will, you'll no longer have the fits. It works every time, every single time it works. And so for us, like, we just, we know, we just stand, like, we, we're not gonna be cowards. Like, I'm not gonna be, I'm not scared of your mama. I'm not scared of your daddy. I'm not scared of your family. I'm not scared of none of that. Because our boys now know that your mama and your daddy are on my side. We in this thing together. Like, this, uh -oh. is, this is community work. And I, I also know if I get you right, I'm probably going to get your mama right too. This is generational work. Like education is generational work. I have a, I have a, a student who came to us last year. We were, last year was our first year open in the fourth grade. This student is probably, he's for all accounts my size, just about my size. 
I was in the fourth grade last year, just about my size. And when I tell you he came to us with so much anger and aggression, he would literally ask us to go to the bathroom. I would say no. And he'd like pick up chairs and he'd like just be throwing them across the room, like punching walls. Like, and most people get scared of that. And for us, we're like, like that's his trauma. That's trauma. That's not who he is as a person. That's, that is, those are behaviors. That's not him. Those are behaviors inside of him. And if you don't recognize that behaviors can change and we can change these behaviors in him, you'll quickly give up on him. And I'm like, I, I literally walked up to him and I said, you're not going to the bathroom. And every question you ask me, the answer will be no, until I no longer see these fits. Everything you ask me, everything, know that the answer is gonna be no. You can piss in your pocket, son. I don't care. <laughs> you won't be going to use the bathroom when you ask me because if that's what I'm going to get when you are told no, we're going to go ahead and get this out the way. We're going to get this out the way. So literally day one till about probably, probably August till about October. August till about October. Fit after fit. His first fit with me lasted seven hours. Seven hours of him throwing boxes, of him like rolling around on the ground, just seven hours of it. And I wanted him to have it all so that he could understand what I was about to do next. <laughs> and so literally, no after no after no, in love, because you gotta love him, you gotta believe that the behaviors can change. You also have to care for him, you gotta do those things that shows him that, that he is loved, that he's cared for, and that we believe in him. So we did all of those things. And continue to tell him no. And when I tell you the boy that we have today, man, please, like there's, he is so like, he is so much more respectful, so much more responsible. And when I tell you his mom got clean because she saw him getting better, his mom decided to get better. It's generational work. So now he has a clean mom. He's in a clean house. He's doing better. His life is happier. Like, it changed his whole existence. That's why this work is important to me. Like, it's not really just about the boys. It's about, like, the community, the families, the, the people that are associated with our boys, the families that are associated with our boys. Like, there is power in people seeing well-spoken, well-traveled, well-educated young Black men. It motivates, it, it, it inspires. And our boys don't even realize how many people they've, they've inspired across this world. That post you were talking about, got 50, it's, it's up to like 50,000 views on LinkedIn. 50,000 views. It has like 200 some comments. And I literally, I told Edric today that we we're gonna sit down tomorrow and he's gonna read every single one of those comments. Do you understand the power and hearing people continuously affirm you, I wanted to like put it up on the wall and let everybody read it because they need to understand like people out here rooting for y'all. They're rooting for you. And they believe in you. Just like we do. one of them a message and just tell them thank you. Man, I'm just like, that because they, they don't hear that. They don't hear it. Like if we didn't create a space for it, they may never hear like all of the good things that they possess, all of the good values that they possess. They may never hear, hear it. I, their parents don't tell them all the time. Some of them might not hear it at all when they go home. And so we have to intentionally set up spaces 
where our boys can be who they are and know that whoever that is, is going to be loved. And because everybody thinks that all black men are the same and we are not the same by any, by any stretch of the imagination. And our boys need to understand, like, whoever you are as a black boy, you be him. And, you, and, and know that we are going to celebrate you and affirm you through all of that. So if you want to be uh, the best football player there, was, there ever was to live, that's great. You will be that. And you will be smart <laughs> because that's going to help you be an even better football player. If you want to be the best actor, you can be that. But you're going to be a smart actor. How do you balance that with them not arriving yet, right? With the, with the need to push, with the need to grow and pull them to mm-hmm. that next space, right? Because I think we often get confused that we're good enough just because we showed up. And the reality of the situation is <laughs> you're not. And some of the behaviors that you have don't exist in you going to the next space. So how, how do you guys balance that? We just have constant conversations. Like we talk to them about a lot of stuff, like good, bad, ugly, we talk about it all. I think also I have to constantly, for me and for all of my adults, just keep putting it in our faces. Like, hey, these are behaviors. (laughs) Like if I fired you for your behaviors, you'd not have a job. Like it's my job to help support that. Like I, I, I used to weigh 300 pounds about six years ago. And for about six years before that, I had been trying to lose the weight. <laughs> so how can I expect for a, a nine-year-old to abandon a habit in a day? And some of us have had habits for 30 years that we ain't fixed. So like we have to understand like it's a process and we have to have that level of patience while also holding them accountable uh, in the meantime. Like it's not saying that you are free of consequences by any means. What it is saying is, like we're gonna we're gonna hold you accountable, but we're also gonna love you while you get it right. Like you're gonna get it wrong and you'll get it right and you get it wrong, you'll get it right, get it right, keep practicing, and you'll have it right. And we're gonna celebrate the hell out of you every time you grow. Every time you grow, we're gonna, because our boys, we don't do enough of saying to them, like, I noticed you're doing well. Like I noticed you haven't did this bad thing in three days. Like, we don't celebrate that growth. And we have to celebrate those small wins because they need to know, like, we see you. Like, we see you doing this. We see you winning because I'm a true believer that people don't win because they've never felt what it feels like to win. Ooh. And the moment you experience that feeling, you're going to want more of it. And Never want to lose again once you win. Exactly. And so I've got to create the space for you to win so you can know what winning feels like. And once you know what it feels like, you're never going to want to let it go. And so that's that's really why we even, that's really even why I I created that space for Edric to be celebrated. Like we celebrate, like, because he, again, like this is fourth grade. I guarantee you 20 years from now, he'll still remember that moment. No question. I mean, my no boy, question. like, he barely used to even talk. Like, he went to, he, Edric actually went to the school that I led before Statesman was created. And Edric didn't even used to talk. Like, my man barely even used to say words. 
And now like he's become this confident young man and his brothers has, they boosted his confidence. I mean, that you can't get that boy to stop talking. That's the type of environment that we created. I, I had parents um, messaging me over break. Like my boy cannot wait to get back to school. And we, I mean, that's all they were talking about while they were on break, school. That's what we want to create. That's like, I want to create spaces for boys where they just run to school. I mean, just run it because they don't get that. They don't get that. And then what it looks like for them in high school, because they're more likely to be suspended, because they're more likely to be arrested. What do we see? High spikes in suspensions, high spikes in, in, in arrests in high school. Like we're setting them up to be a part of this industrialized prison system. Like we're set, we're literally walking them into prison. Like, and it, 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 it pains me to say that there are educators out here that are literally walking these, these black boys into prison. And, they're not, and they don't even realize it. And we've got to change that. Like we've got to stop allowing people to do what they do to our black and brown kids. Like it's, it's, this is a civil right. Education is a civil right. And we've got to treat it. We got to treat it as that. Wow. So we've been going for a while and it's obvious that you've caught your dream and you're in the middle of just rolling around in it. And I appreciate it, it, man. Just, I love it. Um, what's the one thing you want people to take away from this conversation if they missed the whole thing? What, 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 what's the big takeaway? The big takeaway for me that I want people to understand is that Black boys deserve to exist. Um, they deserve to learn and not have adults lack the belief that they can because we've got to check like this. We've got to, we don't have time. Like our boys are dying. And if we don't get, if we don't get this right, like we are a part of the problem if we don't do this right. And like, for me, it's like, look, if it ain't about the kids, it's not about anything. So if you're in education and you're having conversations and they're not about the children, you're having the wrong, you're having the wrong ones. Wow, 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 wow. I appreciate you and the work you guys are doing. It sounds phenomenal and you guys have, just really gotten into it and hitting your stride. So I can't wait to see what the marathon looks like. Cause that's, Absolutely, I think man. you guys have a long, long, long track record. Are we just getting started. Just that's, getting started. That's going to be <laughs> phenomenal. And I hope you guys hire a super high end video crew to document your journey. Oh. To the motherland and just capture the experience. And I mean, it's, it's gotta be on Netflix, right? Like, I mean, the whole world has to hear this story. And I appreciate Dreamcatchers getting this exclusive podcast interview. Oh, no, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's just my hope that we can share your story with, the, with some of the right people and at least be a point of reference as you guys go out and tell the stories more. Awesome. So to the listeners, you know, if you made it to this point, You've absolutely loved what Richter has shared. I think we've had a very intelligent, engaging conversation today. And so do us a favor, man. Share it with somebody who you know would be interested in it. Give us a rating and review if you haven't done so. 
And uh, until the next time, your dreams should be real. Richter, thanks again, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good one. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.